All right. Well, coming to you live, it is the Education Technology Situation Room. It is our 17th episode. Today is July 27th, 2016. I am Wes Fryer in my backyard in Oklahoma City, where we've had uh, a thunderstorm pass through and another hot day. And I'm sure that Jason Neifer has some better weather to report than we've had in Oklahoma. How are you, Jason? Good, Wes. Um, and yourself this week? Yeah, good, good. So been back back to work for a couple weeks, uh, doing some iPad training and working on our student information system transition, which will be nice to to have uh, finished. But it's uh, it's good. So we're having a lot of hot weather though, so I'm a little a little bit nervous for August. But yeah, who knows? Yep. Who knows? And I'm joining uh, live from Missoula, Montana tonight, where I am the assistant director and curriculum director. Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school in fabulous Missoula, Montana. And yeah, it's been pretty hot this week. Uh, we're starting, I'm, I'm suspecting we're going to get our first 100 degree temperature sometime in the next 10 days, which oh, to really? be honest, the fact that it's it's waited till end of July, early August is good news for us. Uh, it means that it's less likely that Montana will light on fire um, during the month of August. So it's uh, been a relatively mild summer here. So that's been really great. The weather's been really beautiful. I was actually thinking you guys didn't get quite that hot, hot there, but you, you do. I mean, that's... Oh, we do. Yeah. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily every summer, although most of, of the last 10 or 15 years, the cities I've lived in in Montana have gotten there. Uh, there was a stretch in summer, 2006, 2007, and I was living in Helena, Montana, the state's capital located in, in uh, kind of West central Montana. And uh, we had a stretch in June of several days in a row that hit 105, 108, 110, and I remember joking with my wife. Well, actually, not really joking. I said, if this is if this is the weather in Montana now, we we have to move. So we can't do this. But um, yeah, it's uh, we've definitely been having hotter summers in the last twenty years or so. Yeah. Well, climate change is is alive and well, and we just never know what we're going to get, and it's probably going to be be different and exciting. So it's been a couple weeks since we uh, we broadcast and. Do you have any uh, doctoral news, actually, before we go get into the technology news? Uh, I do. Uh, next Wednesday uh, at 10 a.m., I will be presenting my proposal to my dissertation committee. So um, I'm very excited about that. Um, I have quite a bit to do before next Wednesday. Not, you know, no, no losing sleep or anything, but I'm going to do a little more uh, digging in on my um, my measurement tool, and um, I'm kind of bulking up my, my research chapters, and I'm really excited to get the proposal phase done with. A couple weeks after that, I'll turn in a formal first three chapters of my study, and then I'll be in schools in um, the fall uh, uh, on the ground researching. So I'm really excited to kind of continue forward with that progress. That is awesome, and and I don't necessarily want to want to derail you for you know the whole show because I'm sure you could just speak for a few minutes on this topic. Sure, but you've only obliquely kind of mentioned that in the show. Um, can you give us just kind of a an elevator pitch as far as what 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 it is and what you're sure. hoping to find? Um, well, um, I'm going to be studying the impact of direct integration of Siri um, in in classrooms. Um, I will be given access to a school district's uh, middle school science classrooms, um, and we're going to measure whether or not the direct integration of that tool increases student engagement. And so, um, we've been—I've been focusing my research on intelligent personal assistance, which is uh, both an industry term and also a term as it relates to um, there's a Google patent for intelligent personal assistance. And so, Cortana, Google Now, um, Siri. Um, uh, uh, 
what what am I missing? Cortana, Alexa, Siri, Google Now. These yeah, are yeah. all uh, these are all uh, intelligent personal assistants. And so the uh, expansion of Alexa um, and how Alexa is um, uh, starting to capture the imagination, I think, of a lot of consumers suggests that the voice interface. Um, is is a big deal. And so um, it's early days, um, and it's been very interesting to research, uh, uh, particularly the the broader topics of engagement and also um, how technology impacts engagement. And so uh, the research phase, which is always my favorite phase of, of anything related to my doctoral work, has been super interesting and something I'm looking forward to digging in on as a researcher. And you're doing a mixed methods or straight uh, quantitative, or what are you uh, doing? Uh, it, it's going to – we're going to uh, – Term it at first as a quantitative study, but I probably will take some qualitative um, qualitative measures because uh, I do plan on doing some direct observation of the impact of classrooms. And so, um, uh, you know, there's many, many potential ways that things could play out. And that's where I think some of the details we'll be hammering out with my committee in the next few weeks will help determine that. But the very bottom line is that, um, um you know, there's a lot of interesting things that, that we could, um, you know, end up uncovering from this. It could be that, that middle school students just aren't that into it. I mean, that's also something we, we could also uncover as well. But I think it's important to do a good uh, job at the research component of that so we can have research to play off of and to cite. And if, you know, uh, things go as planned, um, I'll be one of the first voices in this discussion of how this particular tool could impact the classroom. Absolutely. And and remember, you can always put some of those uh, qualitative things in as appendices and things yep. like that. And yep. um, don't necessarily have to have to hinge your, your whole study, you know, on those yep. pieces being done or being done thoroughly. So that is exciting. Absolutely. Well, for those of you that are perhaps joining us for the first time, um, we are aspiring to basically put an educational lens on the technology news. Um, this has been a fun, uh, I don't know, it's not an experiment, but just, just you know, get together and gathering for, for Jason and I on, a, on an almost weekly basis to have a chance to discuss articles. And it's given me a little bit more purpose and focus as I'm finding things to think about, well, will this be something for the EdTech Situation Room? So if you want to take a look at our links, you can visit our website at edtechsr.com and click the links or just go to slash links. And we've got a Google document, which Jason has faithfully filled in with uh, many of the the uh, topics about uh, Yahoo and Pokemon Go and some of the things that would probably be a little predictable. So we'll, we'll kind of kick out an article and and give a little bit of analysis both ways on that. Uh, we'll probably share some uh, kind of oblique fact, and we'll we'll wrap up with a, a geek of the week. And that's kind of the plan. So you want to kick us off with uh, one of your great articles for this week? Sure. Um, I, I think this is an interesting one because uh, of, of how much uh, the the acquired property impact has had on education, but. Um, a number of sources, and the one I'm citing tonight is CNN Money reports that Verizon is buying Yahoo for $4.8 billion. And as a lot of people have probably been following the uh, uh, evolution of the sale of Yahoo, um, Bruce Myers, the, the CEO of Yahoo, former um, uh, Facebook employee, Google employee, now I can't remember. Um, yeah, Google, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and it, it's been the CEO to try to turn the ship that is uh, Yahoo around. And um, the uh, the latest news in the last six months is that it's been ultimately up for sale. And um, as it turns out, the, the, the buyer that picked it up was Verizon for a pretty significant amount of money. Um, 
uh, $4.8 billion represents a, a big chunk for a company um, uh, that is considered by some to be um, a, a company on its way out. But a couple things I've noticed from this discussion in the last couple of days. First, there are still a billion active users every month of Yahoo Properties. That is nothing to sneeze at. And if a company like Verizon is seeking to become a content company as much as it is as a kind of an infrastructure provider for uh, cellular coverage, um, that certainly heads them in the right direction. Um, I've heard a lot of new sources cite, for example, the America Online uh, 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 turnaround in the last few years where they've become an owner of content properties. And now they've managed to make the evolution away from being a Internet service provider to a uh, at least the owner of content properties. And one could argue that Verizon is poised uh, to do so now with the acquisition of Yahoo. Well, some of the, the things that I read about that were, were interesting. I think it was about five years ago that they had an offer from Microsoft, and I want to say it was at least four times the amount of today's almost $5 billion offer. So there's been a lot of, of depreciation there. So I guess, um, you know, that, that does – it shows the relevance. The most valuable thing – the Yahoo has, they're not putting on the block, and that are our shares or a stake in Alibaba, yep. which is a extremely popular website and service in China, which I'm kind of thinking, is that a little bit like, like eBay or Amazon? I'm not exactly sure um, it, which one it's closest to. It's, I think it's close to both, actually, because I do think they do a lot of sales of third-party products through there, so it's kind of Amazon-y, but I think there's also kind of an eBay component to it as well. And um, it's funny you should mention that because I, I you know, did take a look the other day at all of the acquisitions that Yahoo's made over the past uh, 20 years, and it's super interesting because um, you know, there is a lot of... <laughs> um, you know, uh, things that are probably familiar, uh, either, you know, new or old, um, um, that, that Yahoo owns or has owned at, at some point. Um, a couple examples of this GeoCities, which was one of the first places to host back the in the time. day. Yeah, it's, it's way old school. And I had a number of GeoCities site. My first classroom site was hosted on GeoCities in the late nineties. And, they picked up the property um, and kept it around for a while, but that's how I got my first Yahoo account was uh, migrating GeoCities, and then ultimately it shut down, partly because better services came along and you didn't have to rely on advertising-supported free website services because there are other options available. Um, other interesting things from their list of stuff, uh, broadcast.com, and of course you may recognize that because that was the company that Mark Cuban developed, um, uh, an internet radio company, and uh, they bought that for $5.7 billion. The irony is not lost on me that um, uh, that's less than what Verizon bought the whole company for, but that's what made Mark Cuban a billionaire. Um, and then a number of, of medium and smaller size Web 2.0 companies, uh, blogs, blo.gs, which became eventually Yahoo 360, um, uh, Bright Roll, which was a, a, a series of on-time advertising. They tried to get their foot into uh, video advertising. Um, Classic Games, which eventually became Yahoo Games, uh, which I lost a good percentage of time on in the early 2000s, uh, playing online chess against others. Um uh, let's see, hotjobs.com, which became Yahoo Hot Jobs. Um, these are all properties that uh, you know, Yahoo has picked up um, 
over time. And the number that Wikipedia puts it at is 114 different companies have been picked up um, over time by Yahoo. And many of them were shut down. Some of them became just branded Yahoo products, but they've been a major player in um, the internet, um, you know, since it's, it's, uh, 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 consumer evolution in the mid nineties. So what's the, the educational, uh, slant on this? Certainly. And I've mentioned this before. I'm worried about Flickr, you know, what's going to yeah. happen. Uh, I know that, or I, I read that Verizon had purchased AOL. And part of that was for some of the monet, the ad monetization technologies or algorithms that they had. And so the thought is that Verizon is wanting to wed those potential advertising monetization, uh, code, you know, code, Algorithms, whatever programs to um, the 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 eyeballs that are are connected to Yahoo as far as all the properties that they have. Yeah, I'm a little bit pessimistic because you know Yahoo Flickr is one of these amazing tools, one of the most amazing Web 2.0 tools I think that I started started to use. It blows me away when you look at how many Creative Commons images are are yeah. available on Flickr. In fact, the the, the license I use the most is just buy. And so I'll go here and see. And, you know, there's 71 million photos right now that are licensed wow. attribution only. And gosh, that has just, you know, skyrocketed. And there's, um, you know, 105 million in non attribution, non-commercial share alike. Um, I guess those are the two biggest, biggest categories. Yeah, so Flickr is huge. And, and I, and I just really, really hope that they are going to preserve it, not, not ruin it. Um, it's a vibrant community of, of sharing photos. So that will have an impact. I know we're, we're doing an iPad media camp at my school this week. I was in Tulsa last week for a couple days. And one of the websites I learned about from Tony Vincent a number of, of years ago, maybe it was only two or three, is Photos for Class. And it's a website that uh, gets Flickr licensed, Creative Commons licensed images, puts the attribution right on the actual image and is from what I've experienced, a, a very school appropriate, school safe, you know, property for for utilizing um, as an image search to to do multimedia projects. So, anyway, I, I from from an educational standpoint, that particular property, Flickr is is the is the biggest one. I've I scoured a little bit. I say scoured, searched briefly for some articles and found. You know, essentially people's expressing the same thing, like, wow, I hope that Flickr is okay, uh, but nobody that had any inside information. But that'll be the thing that I'm going to watch the most. And I would say the other thing is just to think about the need to be reinventing and the need to be agile. Uh, we've seen Dell go private and really diversify itself even more so than IBM as far as products and services. Um, we've seen, you know, Apple, of course, be transformed from a computer company to, at one point, we were just thinking a, a music company. I mean, they were making more on the iPod and on iTunes than they were, I think, on the sale of almost anything. And then the iPhones exploded. But, you know, in our environment of technology and rapid change, uh, the importance of good leadership and and maybe it's kind of like the innovator's dilemma too, right? The ability to take a company that's been successful in a particular niche and then can they reinvent? And we're seeing Microsoft, you know, trying to do that and, and perhaps being a little more successful uh, than I would have thought they might have been a few years ago. You just you just never know. So what do you see as the education horizon purchase? Well, I, I think that you have to, you know, go back to the point again that Flickr is a great example of this. Free services are fleeting, and um, there is a um, 
uh, it, it, I, my, and I think I even talked talk about this in a past episode, but the day Marissa Mayer bought, or I'm sorry, was made CEO of Yahoo, someone bought the domain Dear, Dear Marissa Mayer and put a single page on there, please make Flickr awesome again. Dear Marissa Mayer, please make Flickr awesome again. And then started the hashtag Dear Marissa Mayer. And Flickr is, is a great example of a site that has passionate users. Um, and uh, I just looked at the number, 116 uh, million users um, right now on Flickr. That's the current statistic. And uh, that's a huge number of folks, but it, it, it itself is not a property that would probably survive on its own. And so I hope Verizon finds some use for it. Um, I think Verizon could become a, a player on other people's phones, on other networks, if they start taking these things with it but you know I, I i would hate to 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 even see what it would look like for us to export your you know your life's photo work on digital photos uh, uh should it it go away and of course the the uh the creative Commons search which is unparalleled there's no there's no uh, close service of, of photographs that that are creative Commons licensed like that um, it would make a big difference and so you know it buyer or i'm sorry not even buyer user beware um, that you know, you got to be careful before you go all in on things. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that if you take a look at the list of acquired properties on the part of, of Yahoo, there are dozens that probably were some kind of magical, um, uh, uh, some kind of magical tool. Actually, another one that's on this list is Delicious, which at one point was the social bookmarking site. Um, uh, arguably, Pinterest has taken its place um, uh, because it's, it's a somewhat similar service. But once uh, Delicious was purchased by Yahoo, it effectively died in the vine. And, um, you know, a, a caution is, is always appropriate uh, when utilizing these kinds of tools. And, and just being ready to move, being ready yeah. to be flexible. Um, you know, my my greatest um, tragedy in terms of a, of a web tool that, that died was posturous. I, I wrote oh. a, a significant part of playing with media in 2011 talking about posturous and it was bought by Twitter and they promptly, you know, has reassigned all those engineers and the company folded. And even though they had some people promise that Posthaven would, would carry on, it really hasn't. It, it hasn't uh, captured that full functionality. So, you know, I did tweet, and I can probably put in the show notes a link to a GitHub project that will do a full download of your Flickr images, and I probably should start doing that, right? I mean, I I have, gosh, I, I guess I can pull it up and see, but it's like 40,000 or something insane, you know, number of pictures. And at one time, I would diligently keep a folder on my laptop hard drive, and then I would upload to Flickr, you know, but at some point, I became just trusting the web, 43,895 photos on Flickr now. So, um, I don't know. Um, Alan Levine, who's, <coughs> I think I just breathed in a bug. Um, the hazards of having a little light from my son's bedroom on me outside. Um, he, Cogdog is his Twitter handle and he's just a huge Flickr user and created Petcha Flickr and five card, five card Flickr and all these different, you know, great tools. Um, he'll be somebody to watch cause I know he'll be abreast of that, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens and it is uh, a sign of the times and uh, as definitely we need to be, be ready to, to be flexible and, and if Flickr goes away, it won't be the end of the world. It'll be huge, but you know, though these kind of things, um, they speak to the permanency or impermanence of things on the web. 
my friend Bob Sprankle died this last year in December, and his web content is still there. His registered domains are, are there. Uh, I started a project um, called Bob Taught Me where I was, you know, archiving, and I, I need to revisit that because, you know, if somebody's not paying the rental fees on a domain, guess what? Uh, unless you've moved it to the Internet Archive or or somewhere like that, it's it, it possibly could go away. And so we talk about digital footprints living forever. Not necessarily. So anyway, there's some different different sides to that as well. Um, I know we need to talk about Pokemon Go. So do we, do we want to go there next? <laughs> this week in Pokemon Go. Um, uh, well, yeah, a couple articles that are interesting. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we introduced the, the Pokemon Go phenomenon, and to be super clear, I'm not a player of the, the game. I downloaded it for and, and literally had the uh, app open for a minute and a half and decided that, um, <laughs> well, I, I'm careful with addictive substances is the bottom line. Oh, okay. Well. And so, you know, I, I looks like it's great and interesting, and I've decided not to go in that direction uh, to, to utilize it. But... The, the couple things that have come out in the last two weeks that have been super interesting about that, the first one is that um, Apple is poised to make a ton of money off of in-app purchases for Pokemon Go. And the number that was tossed around um, in the article that I'm looking at from GSM Arena this week is $3 billion. And, you know, and part of that is the incredible um, uh, cash cow that Apple has in the app universe. Uh, there's a reason why that app developers uh, tend to go to the iOS platform first. For some reason, their users tend to be more aggressive buyers of, of digital uh, brouhaha than uh, I, or, uh, um, Android users. And so that is still the preferred platform for a lot of developers. But $3 billion is a, is a massive amount of money. And then you start extrapolating that over you know, the other addictive things over time, Candy Crush, the Simpsons game, um, uh, the digital magazines that are being purchased in the platform, the, the going rate is 33% of the fee. Um, you understand why Apple is the world's largest company financially, that they very cleverly monetized uh, the app universe. Absolutely. And, uh, hey, I think I figured out maybe why my camera was bad. Last time when with bandwidth, I had adjusted my uh, in Google Hangouts bandwidth to low, so I'm, I jacked that up, so I don't know, maybe that was, maybe that was something. Um, it, that's shocking, right? And we were talking about this with teachers. It's, I decided not to do Pokemon Go either, but, um, Maybe last time I shared the app Hyper, which is a crowdsourced video app that lets you see things that are trending and, you know, choose things. And we started a nine minute video that was all about how to do Pokemon Go and watching about two minutes of that is enough to say, you know, I don't think I'm going to do that. But it's it's also not something to ignore, right? As we've been talking about yep. with teachers last week and this week, all kinds of kids are going to be talking about Pokemon Go. The technology is not new. Ingress is, was that game that, you know, merged the real. And, hey, there are a lot of kids. We have a high school teacher, a Spanish teacher, who is in our, our uh, iPad media camp, and, and he's on, like, level seven of Pokemon Go. And then I've got a good friend who's, like, level nine, which I guess is pretty high. And anyway, the the teacher was talking about how much more he's been getting out and his, and kids. Kids are getting out, and, and I mean, yep. another teacher said, you cannot play this game and be sitting in your living room. You know, you have to be out and going. My wife and I were downtown at Bricktown, which is our, our renovated, uh, you know, warehouse district in downtown Oklahoma City, and there were lots of people, you know, who were, were having their phones out and, and were laughing 
Adam. And of course, we didn't see anybody get hit by a car or, you know, anything dangerous happen. But it's a phenomenon. And the viral nature of that is is pretty staggering. I dropped a, a link um, in that same uh, set of set of articles that Nintendo shares plummet after investors realize it doesn't actually make Pokemon Go. And the article says that this wasn't new information, right? There's an there's a app company that partnered with Nintendo. It's not new, but you know somehow there were a lot of investors that didn't catch this, and they just assumed, oh, this has the Nintendo name, so that must mean Nintendo is going to you know profit handsomely. Now they could still monetize this in other ways, and and that remains to be seen. But it has definitely been, I think, the the digital viral phenomenon of the summer. I don't yep. know if anything else you know can touch it, and. Um, you know, I feel like we should we should take it as a challenge as educators. We have mobile devices. How are we encouraging our students to be mobile with their computing? Right. We shouldn't right. just be staying in the room. I mean, we we should no longer be tethered to the front of the room with our device because we can airplay and, and use other kinds of technologies to to be wandering around the room. But perhaps even more exciting, you know, our students, if they have phones or tablets or, or can borrow one, they can be out capturing things, bringing content in. And um, and yes, even connecting, you know, geographic location to place and and that kind of thing. So I think there's exciting things for us to think about in because the gaming world is moving a lot faster than the educational world, for sure. And um, it also brings up the idea of coding and, of course, getting kids involved in, in coding and, and not just consuming and that kind of thing. So. Excellent. Um Okay, well, while we're on the notion of, of viral, uh, two stories this week about the nature of the word billion. Uh, first, Apple has announced that it sold its billionth iPhone. Uh, Apple had a quarterly uh, shareholders call uh, in the last week, and they actually exceeded um, Wall, Street uh, Wall Street expectations of sales and profits. Um, of course, that only means something to Wall Street. Um, oftentimes, uh, Apple sells unbelievable numbers of devices, but if they don't meet a kind of a random target set by Wall Street, then sometimes they will lose share value, even though they're selling uh, incredible numbers of devices. But yeah, there are whole categories of um, uh, items that never reach a billion. And for one uh, one brand name item to do that is an extraordinary achievement on Apple's part. And uh, even if, you know, a lot of people are worried that Apple's turning stale, I do believe that they are a little behind right now as other companies catch up with them in terms of features and quality. Um, I'm particularly talking about uh, desktops and laptop computers, which I feel like Apple has, has been somewhat stagnant. But let's not forget that it's still the gold standard for status items and technology, and they've sold a billion iPhones um, since starting the smartphone revolution a decade ago. And the momentum. I mean, you mentioned yeah. that earlier with the App Store, but th the value of having an, an app ecosystem that performs fairly reliably on multiple devices, which continues to plague the Android world. And, you know, and, and with Swift Playgrounds, I, I haven't played with that yet, I guess. That should be one of my fall goals to figure out how to get into Swift Playground and, and start playing with that with some students or with some young people. But yes, Apple is a, is, is a major player. And, you know, we're not, we're not going to see the Apple, you know, Amazon, Google triad, um, fade from view anytime soon and we still have the hangers on um 
you know, like Microsoft, which is still a, a huge player in, in, in innovating. And then we've got weird things happening, like we talked about with Verizon. I mean, if AT&T is, is my main service provider, but it just, just seems weird to have a, a web company like Yahoo bought by them. So anyway, it's a billion's a lot. How yeah. much stock? How much stock do you have in those companies, Jason? Are you um, are you profiting handsomely from your foresight uh, two decades ago? Uh, not enough. I will <laughs> say that that I I'm a very very minor stock user. Um and um and one of the things that I, I think is interesting about Apple is that uh is that again everyone w- wants to be busy to kind of erect their um um uh their obituary. Um, for people to, to mock, but the reality is is that Wall Street was wringing their hands about sales dropping in Greater China is the, the category they use, and there were still $8.8 billion in sales to Greater China. Um, one of the things that's also come out the last week is that there are a lot of very credible um, alternatives to, um, to iPhones in China that cost something closer to what a monthly uh, salary might be for someone that, that, that works and lives in China. And despite that, there are still people that are willing to save up and uh, buy a much more expensive device to have the status device of the iPhone. And there's just no, there's just no parallel to that. And um, it's still the gold standard for high-end electronics, whether high end is your goal or not, it, it very much is. And um, one quick note related to schools, um, you know, obviously Chromebooks have taken a good percentage of the market away from schools. I think Microsoft has been resurging. Um, the the one example of where Microsoft has made a really uh, savvy, actually two examples where Microsoft's made a very savvy uh, investment is in by Minecraft. Um, they now have a foothold in schools like they never had before. And uh, like three or four years ago, when I knew more districts moving away from locally centered mail servers to Google Apps for Education, I now know more schools making the transition away from Google Apps to Office 365 uh, than I know schools that are moving towards Google. Now, part of that was Google was the first in, in really in the cloud marketplace for schools, giving away their product away for free. But it it's a sign there that that's diversifying. But despite that, I still think, you know, I would never buy 30 Android tablets for a classroom. I would happily buy 30 iPads for a classroom, even though they are less, uh, less easy to manage than their, their open source uh, cousins. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a company that's been very resilient. Well, I dropped a, a couple articles relating to STEM and space. Um, SpaceX launched a successful rocket uh, to send a door to the space station. That was from NPR on July 18th. And a, a an interesting backstory, my friend Gail Lovely, who is a educator really focused on pre-K and, and primary age students and iPads, her husband just um, retired from NASA, and one of the things that he helped develop in his latter years was this door, which would be compatible with commercial space systems. So not only SpaceX, but also the Boeing, Lockheed, whatever this other collaborative is, you know, that's that's really the, the main um, aerospace industry competitor to SpaceX. And so that that is really exciting. So SpaceX, you know, <laughs> Elon Musk has some really grand plans. In fact, maybe I should drop that article. There was an, he I think he unleashed some kind of grand plan, too, where there it's, it's along the lines of solar and energy and really wanting to continue to disrupt um, the, the energy sector. But but their plan with space was to um, 
well, it is to go to Mars and to not only be resupplying the, the International Space Station, but, you know, eventually to, to be a main contractor and, and be sending, you know, people, not just robots to the red planet. So that was significant. And then the other article I dropped in, and I don't know, I can't really vouch for this source, VOA News, but um, one of the Twitter lists that I follow on Flipboard is an astronaut uh, list. So sometimes I get articles from from them. And this is five years after the shuttle, NASA awaits commercial crew capsules. So, you know, we're, we're still waiting for the launch capacity since the shuttle's been decommissioned to to be able to put human beings up in space without without Russia's... Um, uh, cooperation um and the, you know then that's it's 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 good that we're continuing to have this collaboration with russia it's also a little disconcerting with things that have happened with putin and and we didn't put anything in there about you know these allegations that that um russian uh hackers have have were, were responsible for the wikileaks res, you know release of of all this information about the democratic party and and trying to basically sabotage hillary clinton's campaign perhaps because putin would rather have you know trump in there than hillary anyway uh on a on a on a stem side and an education side very important for us to be sharing with our students what's happening in space, what's happening with, you know, the commercialization of space, the opportunities. Our son is going to be headed to the Colorado School of Mines here in just like three weeks or something crazy. He's got to be there on, on August 18th. And one of the things in their museum, they've got this whole thing about space mining, right? Last year, the U.S. Congress just changed the law to say if a company, you know, this is like Avatar, if a company goes out to space and finds stuff on an asteroid or, or um, you know, on a, on a planet, I mean, they can keep that and they can monetize that. So anyway, there there's various sides uh, to that issue. But it's exciting to see SpaceX successful uh, because the last time they tried to send this door into space, that rocket did blow up. So um, right. it was. It, it's good to see that continue to, continuing to advance. Yep. I would add one other thing related to that is that um, w- when I when I see more commercial space expansion, here's where my gut my my mind goes, and it's it, admittedly it's down a couple pathways that that requires some linkage. But um, I know a lot of students that do uh, traveling school programs where they're visiting um, you know Africa for six months or Eastern Europe for six months, or they're studying abroad as part of their 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 high school education, um, and um, I, I I just can't can't not think at some point, probably with well within our lifetimes, that there's going to be an opportunity for 20 students to spend six months going to school in space. Like I think that we keep providing more opportunities as the expansion of the private sector, um, uh, which is is working on making space travel cheaper and, and easier and more accessible to consumers. That at some point that that's going to be kind of a huge deal. And, you know, we already have a, a massive interest in, you know, all the elementary schools that are developing experiments for space that go up in, in satellites or onto the space station and all the cool stuff that happens there. Imagine for a moment, you know, uh, 11 kids spending, you know, four weeks, four months in space and studying there. And that's really going to spark, I think, a lot of, of interest in, in these subjects. And we can't underestimate the importance of inspiring youth because when you hear, you know, today's, well, astronauts of yesterday and today talk about what inspired them and what moved them. Uh, Mae Jemison was and is our first African-American female astronaut. And one of my wife's students did a biography study and several reports about her this, this last year. And so I learned a little bit about her watching those media products. And, you know, it's just 
it's huge. Um, the role that teachers play and the role that we, that we can play in inspiring kids. So we, we sort of, you know, not sort of, we, we had a, a, a real lull in, in space activity in funding for NASA. Um, now it, it looks like the commercialization of space is going to continue to play a role. I was just checking NASA's Twitter. Uh, channel and and they've just been tweeting a little bit about Orion. Um, the last semester I was uh, teaching STEM here about a year and a half ago. Uh, that was when Orion launched without people, but that was the first time we had sent uh, a spacecraft into high Earth orbit beyond um, these belts that protect from you know cosmic rays and things like that. And so. There's a lot going on, and and that is hugely exciting. I mean, there's there's all kinds of of drama happening with, you know, violence and terrorism and politics and and political conventions and all of that kind of thing. And I think one of one of our opportunities that we have, being connected and and being in, interested in technology and and being interested in helping, you know, point students towards that, is is raising awareness for things that hey, if you just were turning on the the radio today or turning on the news, you you might have missed. And so that's exciting yeah. to see that that stuff happening. And Jason, would you be signing up to do a uh, a study in space, or are, are you going to let that? Go to the younger um, generation. You know, there was a, a point of which I was pretty interested in space travel as as a, a kid growing up. Um, I think I'm good to go for now. But um, <laughs> the thing about it, though, and in fact, I I'm, I'm I just changed my geek of the week uh, uh, link because of uh, something I want to talk about related to this. But you know, if if they're going to have a commercial space station, I guarantee there's going to be a VR camera sitting where somewhere in there to where mm-hmm. you can pop your headset on. And, and by the way. Um, and I don't know where mine's at. Or I should grab it. I, I have a ton of things I should share this week. I bought, I finally bought um, a VR headset that I liked, and it turns out to be the ViewMaster headset, the old red. And have you seen these, Wes? Okay, you uh, need to do more than one Geek of the Week. I officially authorize you to do okay. as many Geeks of the Week as you want. Uh, I'm going to keep talking, and then I'm going to grab my, my headset. But uh, a couple weeks ago on Prime Day, the uh, Amazon Prime Day, the uh, um, the ViewMaster VR set was $13 down from 30. Wow. I don't know about this. So it's going to look really familiar, and I'm just going to jump in right now. So order be damned. <laughs> um, so this is the ViewMaster VR headset, and it looks kind of familiar, I'd imagine, because it, it is a ViewMaster, right? Um, and it actually comes with a little adapter that you can stick inside uh, that allows you to play the old ViewMaster discs. So um, no I it's 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 pretty impressive how it plays out, but I have an old cell phone that I have stuck in here. Um, it happens to be a red one, so it fits the theme. And you you pop it shut, and then it's it's a recognized Google Cardboard compatible uh, system. And then you know you're I just love how incredibly normal this always looks, but um, you can then you know <laughs> utilize the VR headset in that way. And I know Wes, you know, I've talked in the past about VR headsets, the especially for cl- cl- classrooms. The cheap plastic ones are pretty important because they're more durable. They're not gross because the cardboard one really was just meant to be just for you and not shared with others. But um, you know, I what I've been impressed with is that even people that kind of roll their eyes uh, uh, about technology to me, I've been able to you know stick the ViewMaster into their face, and as it turns out, um, 
um, it, uh, it it's impressive enough that uh, you know it, it really does seem to be something. And so the the link I put uh, in this week's Geek of the Week was that um, I've been watching the the political conventions the last two weeks. I'll save my political commentary for someone that wants to buy me a beer and. Um, the, uh, there you go. So, um, the, uh, um, uh, what I love about, you know, 2016 is I didn't have to go to CNN, um, um, or NBC or even C-SPAN. I was able just to go directly to the conventions via YouTube and see the official feeds that didn't have any commentary involved in it. But right now, um, at, uh, the Democratic National Convention is up. Um, there is a, um, there is a live 360 camera sitting at the center of the convention, and right now there's 240 people watching live, and um, you can utilize uh, your headset to be there and literally no way. You know, work around and see the various uh, I'm and doing that. And so that's, oh yeah, that's, that's, there's just no equivalent to that. Like that's, that, and, that's pretty and, sweet. And see, if you're not joining us live, then you might miss that opportunity because since yeah. I'm here live, I'm going to get my, my Google, Google cardboard headset out and see if, uh, is that open to, to Mac users as well? Uh, or is that just yeah. going to be an yeah, yeah. only thing is. Nope. You can jump as far in as the, and spin around. You can just use your, the arrow okay. key see to, to look around and then if you happen it's to have through a cardboard, YouTube, it's through youtube it's that youtube link then that you can yep, hit yep. and go go to it from there yep, all right yep. folks i'll tell you what i'm doing in about 15 <laughs> minutes i'm gonna be in the vr world so yeah yep. and then yep. and that's the holodeck my wife and i went and saw the new star trek uh this week and you know she's she's a big trekkie um and i i don't know it, it was okay it was a little bit sort of fast and the furious you know out in space with star trek characters but Anyway, I just always think about the holodeck whenever it comes to this kind of stuff with VR and how yep. close. And it's Minecraft too. It's in Minecraft's blocky, but I mean, we are we, the future is here. It's just what uh, not well distributed. And, and I don't have the source of that quote. That's uh, I don't remember who that who said that. But 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 this is an example of it because we have folks who are are living living in the future and. Yep people don't necessarily realize that sometimes with Pokemon go or these other announcements, people get jolted to be like, what, what's going on? This is crazy. It's like, yeah, there's, you know, millions of people now with, with these devices that can, that can connect and, and game and, and do all kinds of things and, and, and take videos and, and share them with the news as, as we've talked about, you know, earlier as far as journalism. Yeah. And in fact, I just saw that the other day, there was a, a I think it was a Delta plane that had to land, um, uh, halfway through its trip, and I I can't remember. I think it was the engine was on fire, but uh, the I saw the story, and they linked to a tweet of someone who was on the plane. And you go to the tweet, and you see these photos that he took of the plane being uh, disembarked, and then of course the response from you know three or four journalists that asked for permission to use his photo, and then one wanted to contact him to do an interview. And um, you know you if you're a witness to a story, you're a witness to the story. I know Wes, you're big into um, you know story chasing, and you know the, in fact you I think you were much ahead of most people in seeing this as the trend. But that's the bottom line: is that with uh, you know I'll, I'll I'll point to two devices. I have my cell phone with me. I have my my <laughs> my my ViewMaster VR headset with me. And these are, I mean, these are incredible devices that, that, that have no parallel 30 years ago for personal use. So these are just unbelievable. And, yeah. um, you know, take advantage. And what is happening 
I'm going to see if I get this right. You know, are these edge devices? I mean, what's happening in terms of central computing power and what we can connect to with high-speed connections? You know, we don't have to have all that computational power and artificial intelligence and, and everything like that, you know, in our hands as long as we have that connectivity. Right. And the, the explosion of that is, is amazing. All right, William Gibson, the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. So he's known for being the author of Neuromancer and... Being the nor prophet of the cyberpunk genre of science fiction. So yeah, there you go. All right. Well, hey, that's that's a good geek of the week. Uh, I'll I'll go. I I went ahead and threw in another one um, since you and I don't know if you had tweeted this one as well. I might have retweeted you, but Richard Byrne did a post on a crowd crowdsource list of Google Cardboard apps and videos. So totally along the, that line, um, check out what has has happened from ISTE by putting up a Google form and saying, Hey, um, you know, what, what kinds of things can we do with Google cardboard that, and that's something that's on, on my list as well um, to do this year because of Google expeditions being now taken out of beta and, and hopefully we're going to be ex exploring that. So um, I tossed that in. And then the other one that I, that I put in, uh, I actually played with last night and it's an app called Prisma. Um, it is a, uh, it's, it's, it calls itself an art photo editor, but um, the example that I put in there, I, I think my wife said this morning, she's like, I think we should get that printed and, and put that up in our living room, which was kind of cool because I don't know that she's ever said that about you know something I've taken with my phone. But when I was in Montana huh, probably four years ago and had a chance to, to go up to going on the Sun Road and, and take some pictures, it was just you know, if I can envision what Eden might have been like, these beautiful waterfalls flowing down and green valleys and, and snow and mountains. And so anyway, uh, Prisma has a bunch of filters, uh, but, but it's more than just a filter because it, it does some, some wonky stuff. There's a nice explanation to turn your, your photographs into artwork. And so I uh, posted some of these on Instagram and, and that was actually how I found out about it because I saw somebody else's either post on Insta, I think it was on Instagram, not Facebook. And, and it's got a little watermark there in the corner that says Prisma. So every once in a while I venture into iPhoneography and, and, and playing around with those kinds of, of apps. So that's my, my geek of the week. And then I put in a, a uh, Prisma photo that I, I took uh, uh, earlier this week. I, I, I'm really stunned by the app actually. It's, it's really beautiful and it does some really cool stuff. How did you find out about it, and how long have you been using it? Um, I follow. There's a uh, a student that went to um, uh, high school, or student that went to a high school I taught at several years ago. His name is Dave Morin. He was employee number sixteen at Facebook, and I follow him, or I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I follow him on Instagram. And he's been using it for several weeks on his iPhone, and it just came to Android in the last week. So I had been um, kind of left out of the coolness then, but it's. It's taken over my Facebook feed. Everyone has been jumping into it, and you are really right. It's it's they they are filters by by the straight definition, but they do a lot more than that, and um, you know really do take uh, images and do something special with them. And the thing I was struck by playing with it last night on the couch watching watching TV uh, was just the processing power of the phone. Right? I mean, the things that it's doing uh, with ones and zeros and and math algorithms. I know has got to be stunning. I mean, I, I remember back in probably 1997, 98 at our local television station. We lived in Lubbock, Texas, um, got involved with, with LISD TV and doing some technology shows. And 
anyway, they would, they had a Mac that, that they would run all night in order to make some very short, like 15 or 30 second, you know, renderings. And, you know, it's just unbelievable the rendering and compression power that is now, you know, in the phone. And uh, I don't know that we're, f- we're fully appreciating it, but when I'm looking at that app and I'm seeing all the stuff it's doing, I'm, I'm realizing that, oh my gosh, you know, that at one point in the late nineties, Apple, they ran an ad campaign because their, their G4 computer was qualified, was categorized as a weapon by the department of defense. And it was illegal to export it because the processing power was so, was so huge. Well, that would be a pretty interesting thing now to say, here's your iPhone six and here's the processing power of the G4 considered a weapon by the Department of Defense in the late 90s. And and I'm sure that what we've got now on our phones, you know, just beats the socks off of that. So absolutely. All right. Well, all right. Well, we've got a a couple minutes here to do an oblique fact. Um, So uh, do you have one on hand or or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I guess... um, what did I, what, what was I sharing today? Um, one of, one of the things that I've really enjoyed doing in workshops, um, with digital storytelling is, is just encouraging teachers to share something that's, that some people would call their B side. Marco Torres, I think, used to call it that. And, and Tammy Parks, who's a, an educator here in, in how Oklahoma does, does projects like that too. And so in the iPad media camp this week, it has been fun to really get some insights into, you know, what, what people's different passions are and, and some of their backstory and things like that. So, um, <clears throat> today we were talking about, uh, digital storytelling and uh, how the the center for digital storytelling um, will will at one time and i don 't know if they still do this but in in giving folks an idea for a prompt we 'll ask them to tell a story from a fork in the road because you know whether it was a voluntary fork in the road that you took or something that just happened you know and everything that that occurred as a result of that so my little story and i, I don 't know this maybe this relates too much to technology, but it was a real dream come true in probably two thousand and ten. Um, because of uh, a relationship knowing Gerald Knezic, who's a professor at North Texas, I got invited to go to the first 21st century skills conference, I, we, we think, uh, to be held in, in China for higher education. And I was was together on, on a panel uh, with uh, Joe Lambert, who is the founder of the Center for Digital Storytelling. So here I am from, from Oklahoma doing, you know, a few things here with digital storytelling and then the master, the Yoda, you know, doing that. So anyway, that's just something that, that this week and last week, as I've been working with teachers, you know, with iPads and things like that, continue to be reminded of is the, the value of the B side, the, the stories that we tell, the relationships that, that, and the connections that we make. Um, and of course that, you know, there's a role for technology to, to play in all of that, but it's something that's not necessarily natural and that people, you know, all these kids, Hey, I think I'm going to break out my, my smartphone and do a digital story today and, and tell this, you know, compelling tale from, from my summer or from my life or, or to record something that, that my, my a family member or somebody else I know um, had. So I've had some encouragement this, this last week to remember the value of that and, and think about maybe, you know, doing some of that with, with my devices in the weeks to come. Excellent. Thanks, Wes. 
Um, I guess the thing I would talk a little bit about uh, is is travel um, and the importance of, of, of and transformative power of travel. And my wife and I are starting to plan a big trip uh, sometime, probably in the next uh, three to six months. I have another friend, that's, that uh, a good friend of mine, that's probably going to go to Poland at Christmas. We might follow him there for fun and then take another trip ourselves. But something that I'm, I'm increasingly aware of in, in a world where it's, it's sometimes kind of scary to travel, that's, I think, that it's most important to get out during those times and something that I've always valued. And I, I didn't really leave the country, Canada, not counting until um, I first went backpacking with my wife in 2000, year, the year 2000 in Europe. And um, if you have not done a lot of overseas travel, um, I think it's an addictive uh, uh, property. I, once you do it, in fact, I, I, literally was planning my next trip on the airplane home. I was so excited to be home. I'd never been away from the United States um, in fact, even since that long, and I actually ate a Whopper in the JFK airport. I was so excited to get home, proceeded to immediately get really sick, but that's a whole different story, right? But I still, you know, have been clamoring to go uh, to go back ever since, and I've now, you know, visited several countries and um, have, have been part of, of learning about other cultures, and not all the countries I liked equally, and some of them were, were, were fun and interesting, and some of them were, you know, more of a slog to get through, but I think every time I have those experiences, it makes me appreciate, um, you know, and, and this is the history teacher in me as part of it, but understanding others is a really important part of travel. And so um, it's it's a it's a scary world right now for travel. There's obviously uh, risks wherever you go. I keep thinking about uh, um, the there was the thing that happened overnight in northern France in the Normandy region. Um, the the thing with the the church there and the the ISIS claimed um, uh, situation there. And I, I know that area. Like I've been there. I can tell you about that area. I sometimes dream about that area, but that would never stop me from going back. And I think it's really important. Um, and it's, it sounds a little, uh, a, a little much to say in these times, but I think in these times it's, it's, it's most critical to get out and see the world. So, um, travel. And, and my, my thought on that is that <clears throat> another thing that's, that should be incumbent on us as educators is to try to reach out and make those connections to people in other places because you never hear the name of a country in the, in the same way when you have a friendship with someone who is from that country or lives there, um, speaking as an exchange student in high school and, and someone who's, um, feel very fortunate to have been able to, to travel a considerable amount, um, you know, it just not everybody is going to be able to make those trips. Um, but, in, you know, telling the stories of those trips, but then, you know, finding ways to make those those connections. So that's probably, I probably need to start a list now of, you know, some priorities to try to do for this year, because I know we've got some teachers that have been doing some pinball projects and and continue to do those and amplifying those and the value of that, because it really, you know, not not to get too too uh too serious on us, but I mean we we've gotta find ways to move forward with understanding each other, understanding yeah. folks from from different backgrounds, from from different places. And um unfortunately part of what the media is doing today is is really amplifying negative outliers. And so part of what we can do is is amplify the opposite, amplify the positive. And maybe those are outliers, but still you know, being able to draw attention to to those things and uh, 
encourage our students to, to, to form relationships and, and learn in a different way, right? Because international travel and, and even, you know, you're going to have an exchange student. I mean, I know that's going to, that's going to be life changing. You know, you're never going to, you're never going to think about that country and those folks the same because you're going to have that personal connection. So anyway, maybe that's an encouragement. And we want to uh, close here by telling you where you can connect with us, but also, uh, inviting you to write a review on iTunes. You can give us a star rating and you can, um, you know, help, help let other people know about the podcast. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. And you can also, um, I think we, maybe we should set up a cross post, but we've got a, a Facebook page that's out there. And one of the things that we may do, we've kind of migrated from, from Blab. Peggy George did confirm uh, last week that there, there are a lot of, of folks doing web shows and things that have, have migrated from Blab. So we may be staying here in, on Google Hangouts, um, but we also might experiment with some other things like Facebook Live and those other things. But Jason, where can people find you and uh, where are you sharing digital content these days? Well, my name is Jason Neifer and I am the Assistant Director and Curriculum Director of the Montana Digital Academy. Uh, you can follow Montana Digital Academy at MontDigAcad on Twitter um, and then per Personally, I, I blog uh, at the NCCE Tech Savvy Teacher blog, blog.ncce.org, and I am Tech Savvy Teach on Twitter, where I do try to, I do read uh, a lot of media, both uh, kind of uh, straight up news and then a lot of ed tech and technology news. I try to share out the best bits every day via my Twitter account. So I will see you online. What about you, Wes? So I'm W. Fryer on Twitter. Uh, I generally am now tending to share articles on Flipboard. So if you Google Flipboard, uh, Wes Fryer, you'll find my iReading, which I'm consuming and sharing on my iDevices. And so that's why I, I, I say iReading and I'm, I'm reading them too. So I don't know, it's play on words, but, uh, you can, you can find articles there. Um, this summer, in, in fact, in the last couple of weeks, I've done a lot of updates for iPad Media Camp because I led a two day last week in Tulsa pardon me, in a three-day camp this week. So you can follow iPad Media Camp on Twitter. And probably most interesting, if you're in, you know, doing iPad professional development, um, all of the curricula for every iPad Media Camp of the last four years is available on an open Google site. And so you can go to iPadMediaCamp.com and click Curriculum. Um, and the, the new twist on that this, this year has been a uh, matrix of projects and apps and looking at things that are whole class, single app using Seesaw, um, two app, and then, then multiple app or app smashing. So anyway, uh, please reach out to us. Let us know if you've listened to the bitter end. We appreciate it. And we will hopefully be coming to you again on Wednesday. We're in almost every weekly show. And while I don't know if we had any live viewers, um, uh, we generally, you know, we'll have folks that, that, that listen and on uh, the audio probably more, but we do have video feed as well as audio feed that you can subscribe to. So please reach out to us. And if you are interested or has, have a suggestion for a teacher, educator, somebody who can contribute to our conversations about the news, let us know. I had a couple of people reach out to us this week wanting us to promote their product or their new study. And that's really not our game. But if there's somebody that would be interested in talking to us about ed, ed tech news, um, then it'd be fun to have them on the show. Have a good night, everybody. Hey, everyone.